As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I alighted on a certain place where was a den. And I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. Well, those words are not the the first words of Les Miserables, I dreamed a dream. Uh, More people have read those words than almost any words in the English language. Uh, You might have even read them and forgotten them or not even uh, known that you've actually read those words. And that is because they're the very first sentence of the the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, And that book was mentioned uh, once or twice over the weekend uh, from Simon. And it was written by John Bunyan in, in 1678. It's been translated into 200 languages, and it's a book that's never been out of print. And if you're not familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, it describes the journey of a man called Christian as he travels from from the city of destruction to the celestial city, and along the way, he meets a a whole host of characters. He, He faces all kinds of challenges. And I think this is one of the reasons that the book has had such an enduring appeal. Pilgrim's Progress, the story, is realistic. And it's realistic because the Christian life itself is a pilgrimage. It's a journey. And as we follow them on that road, as we travel along, you and I, we meet all kinds of dangers, all kinds of difficulties, don't we? Now, this idea of being on a journey, it's... Uh, it's very popular in our culture. You may not uh, really have realized this, but we often hear people saying like this, uh, things like this. The past few weeks have been an incredible journey, says uh, the celebrity as he, he leaves Strictly. Uh, this squad has been on a journey. Uh, the manager says that, doesn't he, as his team kind of bow out in the quarterfinals. And uh, in our last church, it was a, uh, we went to church in a place called Leith. It's part of Edinburgh that's become very trendy. And if you sit in a cafe in Leith and you sip a flat white and you talk about being on a journey, well, you sound very hip, you sound very spiritual. I think in our culture today, we love the idea of a journey. The problem is uh, we don't know where we're going. And I think that's one of the reasons why this passage is really helpful. These verses in Exodus chapter 13, the last little section, they show us what a life of pilgrimage looks like. Or to put it another way, they show us what a life guided by God looks like. And maybe tonight you've uh, been on that journey, on that road for decades, or maybe tonight you're just thinking about becoming a Christian. I hope wherever you are, this uh, passage will be helpful. And I want us to see three things tonight as we look at it. The first is this, as we look at the route, I want us to see the way that God leads. The way that God leads. Now, we've come back to uh, Exodus, and so we, we kind of need to situate ourselves. It's been a few weeks since we've looked in this book, and in a sense, that's quite appropriate, because when we read these verses... We are picking up the story after a bit of a break in the narrative. And if you look back at chapter 12, verse 37, uh, hopefully you can see this. Uh, We've got uh, the the, the 10th plague in in verse 29 and following. Then we've got uh, the events of the Exodus described. And then verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed, the beginning of the journey. 
But then if you look down at verse 43 of chapter 12, maybe you can remember if you're here with us, we've got three sections that talk about uh, the Passover, the consecration of the firstborn, and the feast of the unleavened bread. And then the narrative kind of, we kick back into it in verse 17 of uh, chapter 13. Uh, these verses, 17 and 18, they, they show us the route, they show us the way that God leads his people. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, it says in the text that Pharaoh let the people go, and yet you and I, we know if we've read uh, verse 14 of uh, chapter 13, we know that God is the one who by a strong hand brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh, like Pilate, he would have no power, no authority, unless it had been given to him from above. And the God we meet in Exodus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the earthly rulers in this world. They're not beyond his control. And that's a comfort to us tonight, isn't it? As God leads his people, though, he takes them on an unexpected route. And if you want to put simply, instead of going east, instead of going east along the coast, they go south. And verse 17, it makes clear, doesn't it, the reason God seems to be concerned that having left Egypt... Having left Egypt, his people could face an enemy too soon, another enemy too soon. God wants them to avoid conflict in the land of the Philistines. And God wants that to be avoided because he knows that if that happens, they'll want to return. They'll want to go back to the familiar, even if it means slavery. And I think this is a real act of compassion on God's part. One of the commentators points out something really helpful. He says that these people, if you, you think about um, the Israelites leaving Egypt, and he says these are, these, are, these are people who were adjusting to the whole idea of being free. And I think that's right, isn't it? When a person has been in captivity, a person has been a hostage, we often read about this in the news and things like that, when they're set free, it takes them time, doesn't it, to adjust to that new reality. And I think, in a sense, God is doing that. He's preventing them from going into conflict too soon. He's, he's watching over, he's protecting the people that he's rescued, that he's delivered out of slavery, you see, in verse 18, they're described as, as leaving equipped for battle. You can see that if you look at the end of the verse. And it's not very good for a preacher to do this very often, but that uh, kind of translation, in many ways, it's not that helpful. And that phrase kind of seems to imply, doesn't it, that they, they were up for a fight. Uh, really, the, the meaning there is that they were leaving in formation. They were leaving like an army. Uh, these people have been taken out of captivity. They're, they're not ready for a fight. God is treating them with compassion. And yet God is also taking them into the wilderness. Um, as Calvin says, God is leading them now on a long and difficult and dangerous journey. And this is so often how God leads his people, isn't it? 
uh, the idea of the wilderness uh, is really important in Scripture. And one important example is Jesus, isn't it? What happens after Jesus' baptism? Well, Matthew says he's led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What was true of Jesus is so often true of us. God often leads you and I as believers into really surprising experiences. God often leads us into to things we did not anticipate. And yet so many believers would say that those places... Those are places they learn some of the most important lessons they could possibly learn about God. Isn't that right? That maybe in wilderness years, well, God became more real to them than ever before. And some of you are in that place tonight, or some of you may know people in that place tonight. Your, your life feels like a bit of a maze. Your lives are, are not going, they haven't gone the way that you would have chosen, the way that you would have anticipated, and that can be difficult. But what can happen when that happens, I think, is that you and I often just assume that, it's because of our, that it's happened because of our sin. And sometimes uh, there is a connection, isn't there, between kind of difficulties we face in life uh, and sins that we've committed, there can be a connection with that. Sometimes God can forgive our sin, and yet there can be real consequences, the kind of ripple effect of our sin that we wrestle with for years. And yet that isn't always the case, is it? It's too simplistic to say that life is always like that. No, in this situation, God's people are being led into the wilderness. People who've been rescued by God are being taken into the wilderness. And I think there's great comfort for us here tonight if we're struggling. Someone, there's someone who knows, someone who knows how this particular kind of season of your life, how it, how it fits into the whole of your life. There's someone who knows how this painful, difficult situation, how it, how it will be viewed from the context of eternal life. See, what does Psalm 121 say, the pilgrim Psalm? It says, the Lord will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. And to be a pilgrim, to be a pilgrim is to say all the way. All the way my Savior leads me. To be a pilgrim is to know that, that God is leading us even when he leads us through valleys, even when his, his footprints aren't seen, even in all the unexpected twists and turns. Uh, you and I tonight, we're called to trust God. So that's the first thing we see. We see the root and we see the way that God leads there's a second thing. The second thing is this. We see the bones, and we see the example God gives. The bones and the example God gives. Now, it's, it's funny to think about kind of um, journeys, isn't it? We, lots of us have just been on uh, church weekend away. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Andy was preaching from Luke chapter 9. He spoke about the importance of, of traveling light, and I was, I was sort of reflecting on the need to travel light as I kind of bundled everything into the back of the car this morning. 
And it's really important in the Christian life, isn't it? The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. We're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We're to run with perseverance. When we moved to Dundee uh, two years ago, uh, we brought some sticks with us. Uh, They're still in our garden. Um, They're sticks from Edinburgh that Jonathan wanted. And uh, we kind of were like, what are we going to do with these sticks? We gave in. Still there. Don't know if he thought they were kind of superior sticks, being from Edinburgh. I don't know. Well, verse 19, God's people, they, they take something surprising on their journey, don't they? they? They take something that we might think, well, they could do without that. They take Joseph's bones. And maybe you're new to the Bible tonight and you think that's really strange. Or maybe you've been reading the Bible for ages and you think that's really strange. But look what the verse uh, says. Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now, what's this all about? Is it kind of, are they to take the bones as some kind of reminder of their mortality? Um, As they kind of make this pilgrimage, are they to think, well, life is short? Um, is it just about respecting the, the wishes of the dead? That's an important thing, isn't it? Well, no, it's lots more than that. And to understand this, what we need to remember is where and when Joseph spoke these words. They were spoken at the end of Genesis, and they were spoken in Egypt. And what that means is these words, if you like, they were, they were a kind of expression of his faith. See, a person's final words, they, they, they reveal so much, don't they? What Joseph's final words revealed was that he had faith in God. Long before the events of the Exodus, long before God came down to deliver his people, well, Joseph believed that it would be so. Joseph was trusting a promise that God made years before And yet he died before he saw that promise coming true. See, the last words of Genesis, they they go like this. Joseph died at the age of 110. After that, they embalmed him. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And yet the great thing about Joseph was he, he knew that Egypt, Egypt was not his final resting place. And Joseph was somebody who was looking beyond his own life. Uh, to be a pilgrim is to, is to be someone who thinks that way. It's to be someone who, who, who looks to, to the future. I mentioned uh, Hebrews a moment ago in chapter 11 of that, that great letter. This little incident is mentioned. Maybe uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It would be a good thing to do. And look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, 22. By faith, uh, the writer says, by faith, Joseph, uh, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Hebrews chapter 11, it's it's a wonderful chapter, isn't it, in God's words? 
Uh, this incident about the bones is mentioned there. In, in fact, it's the only thing that's said about Joseph. Uh, interesting, isn't it? That, that that's what the writer chooses to focus on. But look up from uh, verse 22 of Hebrews 11. Look up to verse 13. Now, what the writer does here, verse 13 to 16, he kind of sums up all the different characters in this amazing chapter, all these different examples of faith. And then he says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. He says in 14 that people who speak like this are seeking a homeland, a better country, he says in verse 16. And then look at God's verdict at the end of verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Joseph lived and died by faith. And I think Joseph, he, he shows us what it's like to, to long for that true home, that, that true home that, that Simon's been reminding us of this weekend, to, to trust God's promise for a heavenly home. See, like Moses, if you think about Joseph, think about his position at the end of his life. Like Moses, Joseph was someone who knew all the treasures of Egypt, wasn't he? At the end of his life, Joseph was, he was Pharaoh's right-hand man. And yet Joseph was someone who was not content with Egypt. Joseph was someone who was longing for something else, not just the promised land, but the true promised land. Well, what about us this evening? Are you and I, are we, are we too content as Christians? Have comforts that we enjoy, have they, have they got too much of a hold of us? Have we forgotten our mortality this evening? Well, friends, uh, let Joseph be our teacher. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And if Joseph, if we could bring him here now, if he could come and stand at this mic... Well, he would tell us that he now, he enjoys greater treasure than all of Egypt, greater treasure than all the world could give. So if you turn back to Exodus and uh, you look at one of the names that's mentioned in that uh, reading, if you look at verse 20 of chapter 13, uh, you can see the name Succoth. And that uh, name, that name means booths. And uh, I don't know about you, I don't want to live in a booth. Uh, there's something very temporary about a booth, isn't there? And it's a reminder to us that as God's people, we are always moving on. That as pilgrims, uh, to, to follow the Lord Jesus is to not be fully at home now. It is to be someone who is living, trusting, looking to the future. And so, friends, tonight, let's remember that countless believers have gone before us. Let's remember that they've, they've died trusting in the resurrection. They've fallen asleep. 
and then they've woken up in the land of the living. And God wants us to follow their example tonight. He wants us to take him at his word, to walk by faith, to die still trusting that one day we will be raised by him. So that's the second thing. We've seen, we've seen the root, we've seen the way God leads, we've seen uh, the bones, the example God gives us. But there's one final thing. We're going to look at the pillar Because as we look at the pillar, we see the help that God pledges, the help that God pledges. Uh, One of the great things about doing a a sermon series in a book, as uh, Andy and I tend to do, um, is that you you pick up some friends along the way. And uh, sermon preparation should be noisy. And that's because we're having conversations with uh, different writers, some of whom are still alive, some of whom are dead. And Alec Mateer is one of my uh, conversation partners, if you like, when I'm uh, studying Exodus. And let me paraphrase him. He says that in Exodus 1 to 13, God came to his people in their distress. But from here, from 13 to 18, God goes with his people on their pilgrimage. God came to his people in their distress, but then God goes with his people on their pilgrimage. And so that means God is not like a policeman. God is not like a firefighter. When you and I, when we call them, uh, they come, don't they? They come and they help us, and then they leave. But God isn't like that. When he rescues us, when God rescues us, he is all in. God is committed to us. And God is present with his people. That's what the, that's what the pillar is all about. See, the pillar is mentioned here, uh, and these ideas of, of kind of smoke and fire, we're going to see them again in, in chapter 19 on Sinai. We're going to see them in chapter 24 as well. When Moses, the text says, went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. And so as God's people travel, as they, they go on this pilgrimage, this pillar, it, it, it's communicating to them that, that he is with them. And we see that in verse 21. The Lord went before them. And we see the same kind of thing in verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, what you and I need to know tonight is that what this phrase went before them, what it indicates is repetitive action. And it's again and again, it's, it's day after day, it's, it's night after night, it's around the clock. And what we see here is the invisible God giving his people a visible sign of his presence. And he does it, so they'll keep moving, verse 22. You know, sometimes when you have to, you have to face a really, really difficult conversation with somebody, maybe at, at work, or maybe if a relationship has become very difficult, sometimes you have to have one other person with you, don't you? And lots of you tonight will have experienced that kind of thing. You, you enter a room... And you go into that room to have a conversation that is going to be very difficult, but because you have somebody beside you, 
it completely changes the experience. And God is like that. The Israelites had, they had an Emmanuel experience. They knew that God was with them. And the same is true of us this evening as God's people. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I think you and I, there's lots of times, isn't there, when God feels absent. But what's the truth? The truth is, God is always with us. See, you think of that psalm we sung earlier, Psalm 23. What did David say? He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I love that idea, Lord. But what did he say next? Where else does God lead? Where else does God lead? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And what did David's greater son say? He said this, surely I am with you always. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, when did Jesus say those words? Jesus said those words, didn't he, as he he prepared to return to heaven. And when he ascended, what else happened? The spirit descended. This is what he told his disciples in the upper room. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And it's a beautiful reality, friends. As you and I, as we travel through life, as we look forward to one day reaching our true home, well, he has made his home with us. You see, do you remember what Jesus says? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And friends, this is the closeness. This is the wonder of what God offers you and I tonight in the gospel. This is what pilgrims have as they journey through life. God's presence, God's Holy Spirit with them, in them. And maybe tonight you need to remember that. Maybe you're tempted, maybe you're weary, maybe you're drifting, maybe you're running away, maybe you've lost sight. Well, remember what lies ahead. Remember who lies ahead. You see, what is, what is the pilgrim's ultimate hope? If you're not yet a Christian, what is, what's waiting for you if you become a Christian? Well, it's a person. It's the person. It's the Lord Jesus. One day... We will see, if we're trusting in him, we will see the head that was crowned with thorns. And we will see the face that was spat on for us. Friends, this is our hope. And so may God help us to to persevere in it. And persevere in it till we pass over. And all the trumpets sound on the other side. Well, let's pray together.